Welcome to another episode of the DL. I am your host, Tyler Robertson, also the CEO and founder of Diesel Laptops. And this is the podcast show where I get to talk about everything passionate to me. And that usually revolves around one of two things, entrepreneurship or our industry we serve, which is the commercial truck and equipment market, uh, mainly. All right. So I want everyone just to take a real quick think back to your childhood. Do you remember those points in your childhood where your parents told you something and it seemed absolutely crazy or not important? And then as you got older, you start to realize, you know what? My parents were actually pretty dang smart. And, and now as an adult, I have kids. I have an eight-year-old and 10-year-old. And it's funny. It's like the cycle repeating. I'm telling my eight and 10-year-olds things that are actually really important, like things they need to know. And I can tell they're brushing me off. They're like, dad, whatever. You're old. You don't get it. And times have changed. I'm here to tell you times really haven't changed. So I'm bringing in someone today that has a vast amount of experience in our industry and in our space. And I want you to really listen and really learn what he has to say, right? This is how you get better at your business, right? So with this, the person I brought in today, let me just give you his background before I introduce who he is, all right? So his background, uh, he was the CEO of some leading manufacturing companies in our industry, Duracon Lighting, who does light truck accessories, FAG bearing, they do heavy industrial components, CR services slash SKF. We all know those guys. Uh, he's held senior management positions at companies like Stant, which is now Gates, Parker Hannafin. These are some big companies. And he's also the founder of Fleet Pride. Yes, that Fleet Pride that has 400 plus locations and is doing their part to grow this aftermarket parts industry. Uh, love them or hate them, Bill's kind of the reason that they're there today. So we're going to dive into that story here a little bit. All right. Uh, not only that, but he's been around. He does numerous talks, speaking, articles, just truly someone in our industry that you need to know if you already don't know who he is. A lot of you listening probably know who he is. So with all that, I want to introduce you to Bill Wade. He is also now the managing partner of Wade & Partners, a consulting firm, uh, but he knows this space. So uh, Mr. Wade, I, hopefully I introduced you properly to the audience there. Uh, more than uh, charitably, that's for sure. You could have just said he's old. <laughs> I was saying it in the nicest possible way. You know, it's, you funny. Did. it's funny. My kids tell me I'm old all the time. I'm like, look, I'm only 43. I'm not that old yet. But apparently oh, I'm no, ancient to those guys. I have kids older than you. It's <laughs> just terrible. Hey, there's always new people coming into this space, right? And yeah. I, I, I think I really want people to kind of understand the history here a little bit. Because sometimes I think people, and I said love them or hate them, right? Because with Fleet Pride. I think a lot of people look at him like this huge threat, this huge problem, and other people obviously love him. They they obviously sell a lot of parts and they're growing. They've continued to grow fast for a long time. And there's an origin story here that a lot of people don't know about, but you're the guy that knows the origin story of Fleet Pride. So I would love for you to share that with the audience to kind of get us going here. Okay, it, it is kind of an interesting thing because uh, when I got out of college, um, the one thing I wanted to do was work for Leo Burnett, which is a big advertising agency here in Chicago. One small problem, nobody told Leo. You know, so I uh, ended up, I shouldn't say it that way, but I had the next five years, I worked for, with my dad, who was the publisher of magazines such as Fleet Management News, Auto Body Repair News, High Performance News and Products, Automotive Aftermarket News, and all the show dailies. So in five years, I really, really learned a lot about a broad sweep of the aftermarket, what it was about, and what have you. Um, and that was the best five years of my life. Working with him, I, you know, I could learn every day. Uh, my small problem was that his partner, they had been partners since before I was born. Therefore, they had been partners longer than he was my dad, and I couldn't stand him. So even though he was trying to do the right thing, it didn't work out. So I left and I went to work for a manufacturer and so on and so forth. So you fast forward to um, the late 80s, or yeah, or late 90s. And um, I'm starting to think, you know what, I believe that this 
business is now ripe for some sort of consolidation. Since I had been a manufacturer and been on the manufacturing side uh, with two or three big guys and family-run businesses and what have you, I thought, geez, that's what we'll do. Um, and so I looked around and I found a guy named Fred Mancheski, who was the chairman of a company then named Eklund, uh, had been uh, running around acquiring small family manufacturing companies. And so I thought, that's, he's my guy. And I knew him. So I went out to uh, Connecticut and I said, Fred, you know, I'd like to really get involved with you. Let's do something together. Um, he didn't want to do that. But I figured out one important thing. That's not where the fun would be. The fun would be on the distributor side because nothing had been done in the distribution side of the business towards consolidation. Nothing, really. So <clears throat> I uh, had been working with a bunch of private equity guys from here in Chicago, uh, Madison Dearborn Partners, and I went in and I pitched them. Oh, I hit this great story. And they sat and listened, and then they said, you know what? That's not really what we do. Distributors don't have enough brick and mortar for us. They don't have machinery. They don't. So <clears throat> they said, but we understand what you're saying here. Why don't you go out to the West Coast, to Los Angeles? There's an outfit out there called Aurora Capital. And they seem to know what this is all about. So I, I tailed it out there. I got a chance to talk to their partners for about 10 minutes. And after 10 minutes, the chairman slaps his hand down on the table and says, this is exactly what we do. Okay, wait, wait, let me, let me stop you there. Do, do you know anything at all about running a retailer of truck parts at this point? Or were you mainly on the manufacturing oh, no. side? <laughs> so, I was 100% on the manufacturing so, so side. You, you know nothing about this. And you're like, hey, guys, we need a bunch of money so we can go start consolidating and rolling up. A bunch of right. retailers. Now, the good news is, then as sometimes now, the money guys didn't have any idea what the real business was all about. So to them, heavy duty was heavy duty. They didn't realize that there were all of these layers in there. So that <clears throat> was fine. Um, so I thought, geez, I went home uh, to my, um, I was living in Denver. Uh, because we had, uh, I had been working with uh, Stanton and had been sold to Gates. Um, so I was living there and working with Gates, which is a wonderful company, and I loved it. And um, my wife said, well, how did that go? And I said, you know what? I think I'm going to have to do this. They said, yes. She said, they said yes to what? I said, to my idea. She wasn't quite sure what my idea was, but that's okay. So um, I uh, turned in my notice the next day. And uh, as of April 1st, what a great day to start something. Yep. Um, but fearlessly, because I knew nothing, um, here I go. So the my plan was to find some of my uh, customers, the guys that I'd been calling on, the members of CFS, the members of um, different associations that I have been calling on, and I knew well, and I was going to pose this idea. How about I buy your company, and we put it together with Charlie over there and Ralph over here, and we'll have a nice big company, and everybody will be happy. I got 10 guys. In, in the next month, I got 10 guys to say yes. See that that just that just amazes me that you phone ten people like that are like yeah sure I'll give up what I own to be a part of this bigger thing. It, it must well, have been an exciting time for them at that point or a, a new thing or for all of us. But yeah. um, the thing was, then as now, um, the the business was changing, and so nobody exactly knew, uh, you know, how distribution was going to go. These were all family companies, all very successful guys. 
And I was going to give them all, A, I was going to buy for cash. B, I was going to give them the chance to reinvest in the bigger company, along with this bunch of other guys who were their pals. I mean, we all got together at CFS meeting. So uh, I got 10 of them to say yes. And I totaled it up and it was going to take about $100 million to do this. I didn't have a dime. So I borrowed $100 million. Wait, wait, wait. You literally went and signed the dotted line to say, hey, I'm going to go and debt $100 million to go make this thing work. And this is 20-some yes. years ago. That, that's, a, that's a big it, chunk of change. It was a lot of money, especially if you have zero. <laughs> uh, so, so what I did is I, um, we arranged for the, all the financing. So we started April 1st. June 1st, I had all the letters of intent all squared away. From June to August 1st, we did the legal stuff and the due diligence and all of that happiness. August 2nd, roughly, we all met in Los Angeles. And when I think about it now, this is insane. Um, and we had uh, our law firm was Gibson, Dunn and Crutcher. Uh, we had the whole floor of uh, the building they were in in Los Angeles there, and they had all these conference rooms with glass walls. So I could look down this way and see five families sitting in five different conference rooms. Look down this way, and there's five families sitting in five different conference rooms with these racks in the middle and people running in and signing things. And I'm running from room to room to sign this and that and the other thing. Geez, we heard from the EPA on this guy. And, you know, a lot of this, that was pretty fast to pull it together. So a lot of it was kind of close. Um, a lot of it was very close. Uh, these guys had been up 48 hours, the lawyers and everybody like that. So um, I go first to the Stockseth family who owned um, SLM down in Texas then over to see Billy Cole, then over to see Ray Fay, and then over to see uh, Townsend and so on and so forth. Sign, 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 sign. By three in the morning, Fleet Pride was, was there, it was put together. So boom, like it, it didn't take long to put that together. And now Fleet Pride, I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, it didn't take right. decades, no, right? No, yeah, no. yeah. It, was a, it's a, it sounded like a very fast process that got pushed pretty hard. Um, I just know, you know, I'm the EPA, like phase ones you got to do on the buildings and all these inspections and due diligence. I, oh, I, sure. get, I get it. Um, and times 10. So it's it's a big thing. So how, like company exists. How many how many locations are there like day one in this new, this new Fleet Pride? Well, uh, during that time, I had also put together a very small headquarters staff and moved from Denver to Chicago, which was going to be our headquarters. <clears throat> Got my uh, daughter to, she's actually Fleet Pride employee, 00001. <laughs> uh, and there was five other guys. Steve Crowley from Vipar was one of them. Um, and so we uh, put this five guys together and we, I mean, these guys were churning. Todd Dunn was one of them, a uh, guy named uh, Gil Day was one of them. But everybody was working 20 hours a day to get this thing squared up. <clears throat> so we go from five employees and zero revenue one day to 2,100 employees and about 200 million in sales the next day. Yeah, that that's just insane. I mean, that's a whole nother level of running a company, right? I mean, that's no, just, it's, a, it, it's, it's crazy. A, yeah, it was nuts. Except for one thing. All 10 of those families were still invested in Fleet Pride. So that meant that I could call on anybody with any problem. And that was part of the original uh, program. I figured that if I could get guys that were really good at something, we could use their uh, overall uh, talent 
in all those other locations. We had at the time, uh, I wanna say 60 or 70 locations. I had actually been to most of them. So that, I mean, you talk about flying around, it, it was nuts. Well, uh, tell well, me tell me about the first couple months or years. I mean, I can just imagine new company formed, a bunch of people involved, never, I mean, I can imagine you've never, you never ran a company or been involved in a company like that, that had that many employees. And it's just a lot of, everyone had, I'm sure, different systems and different way of doing things and how we're going to buy. Oh, there, there must have been a million things to walk through. Was it just, just chaos all over the place, figuring things no, out? Actually, or how'd you get through it, it? It actually worked out well because I knew that this was going to happen. So my, the, Exec VP was a guy named Tom Gilday. He was this, one of the five smartest guys I've ever known. And he was a computer wizard. Biggest thing, computers. He took care of that. Second guy was in charge of purchasing. Steve Crowley knew every manufacturer in the business. Steve and a bunch of the old owners got together and took care of that. Um, marketing was handled by a guy named Chuck Bowman, who had worked with me for 20 years. He knew the business inside and out. So we actually had a leadership. Uh, we had leadership that could could manage this thing. But our my key idea was not to make a national, make a model and then imprint it nationally. My idea was to take the brilliance of um, David Townsend and his tanker shop up in uh, Connecticut and apply that kind of brilliance and see what we could do with Billy Cole down in Bluefield, Missouri, down in uh, Bluefield, uh, West Virginia, uh, or go down to Texas Stocksets knew all about what was going on in the oil field. And by the way, when we bought them, we got five dealerships. So for the first time ever, I got to go to the International Harvester dealer meeting as a dealer <laughs> and see how screwed up they were. So and that was part of the my idea was that the independents were going to have to do more than just have an association with the OEs and the OE service channel starting to get kind of uh, tough. I felt so much better after I saw the disarray at International. Uh, International treated their dealers like scum. Of course, some of our uh, manufacturers treated some of our distributors like scum, but that was, you know, uh, at any rate, so that was the idea. We were going to install a brand new thing at the time, see you, see me cameras. They're little cameras like the one we're using here on each counter so that when somebody brought in, a, I don't know, a, a used part um, to be rebuilt, how do we know that the core is any good if we've never seen the part before? Well, you can put it on the see you, see me. Somebody in the in those 60 branches had seen those before. And they would say, oh yeah, that's a Mac, whatever. Look for a crack next to the bolt hole on the back side, you know? And that was, that yeah. was. That was the way to share information back then. I mean, this this is, I don't think people realize this is like pre-mobile phone, pre-internet being really highly used everywhere era. The, so I, I get it. What, one of the questions I have for you, did, did you ever wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat realizing, man, I'm $100 million in debt to somebody? Or did that? Did that oh, was Jesus, that? yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. But see, the way it was structured, it wasn't really me in debt, you know, because I was off the hook once we put the thing together, uh, kind of. Um, but I do remember, and I will never forget, uh, a Wednesday when my CFO, Todd Dunn, called and said, we're not going to make payroll on Friday. Yeah. What? No, we have 2,200 families that are looking for a paycheck on Friday. What do you mean? You know, what happened to all this $100 million shit? You know, what? Yeah. 
Well, it turns out that people doing exactly what we wanted them to do had put a cash burden on us that we had not quite caught up with the reporting system yet. So somebody down in Texas had sold the state of Texas a whole bunch of international trucks. They did exactly what we wanted them to do. They pro probably sold them for a decent profit, did exactly what we want them to do. International needs to get paid in 15 days. State of Texas pays you in 180. Yep. See what the problem was? Cash flow. You talk about learning the, about cash flow. We covered it on Friday. I didn't sleep that whole time, I don't think, <laughs> um, because we had to, I learned about mezzanine financing. I learned a whole bunch of new tricks. You get to you get to learn really quick when you're put your backs up against the wall and you're thrown into situations you didn't you didn't see coming, right? It's always those unknown unknowns that kind of get you and, the gotchas. You're kind of like, oh, that, that I would have I wish I would have known that. I would have done things differently. Yeah, but if I had known that, well, I don't. So, anyways, that was one of those times that you talk about. As we were going forward. I was really feeling strong about the idea. We bought up a few more so that by the time we got to December, we had, what, three or four more. And now we were 14, 15, 16 previous uh, owners. And, and they still had their own name, still said coal truck parts. It still said automotive service out in Phoenix. It still said... SLM down in Texas, a fleet pride company. That was my concept. Um, and you'll see that a lot of the original concepts, for whatever reason, they turned away from. Mostly the reason is I wasn't there anymore and somebody else yeah. had thought they had a better idea. Um, so in January, one of the guys at Aurora Capital comes to me and he says, how can we make this thing go faster? And I looked at him and I said, faster? We just went from zero to now $250 million in sales in fewer than six months. Faster? Well, you know, we've got a window of opportunity. Oh yeah, whatever. So I found that <clears throat> there was a, another guy uh, another bunch, which was a bunch of HDA guys, heavy duty America guys. And they had started a thing called uh, HDAPS, heavy duty America parts service. And this was the Jim Stones of the world. It was the guys that I had called on could not get to go with me, but they signed up with this other guy. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great. And stick with me here. There was a third guy called Transcom. And Transcom was the one that had signed up Tom Ketchum's outfit out in California. Three different approaches. Our approach was to pay cash and let you invest. Transcom's was to put them all together and do what they called at the time a poof IPO. So they put them together and took it public day one. Um, and then the, the third guys, HDAPS, put them together and decided to finance it through public debt markets. Um, so three different ideas, all with the same, relatively the same goal. In a fairly short period of time, the poof deal collapsed. And that was just sad because there were some great guys that lost their ass, it lost the family business in that. I'm sorry. Um, some of them were able to rescue themselves uh, out of that mess and good for them. Um, the HDAPS guys had all of this public debt floating around out there. And I wish I could take credit for this, but I can't. The private equity sponsors for Fleet Pride went out and bought up all the debt and they bought it at a big discount. And before you know it, we knew we owned them. 
Yeah. No, it, so, it, it, it's just amazing to see three different strategies all kind of converging near the same the same point in time <laughs> independently. You know, especially since none of the, it had never been done before. And now within the uh, time period of six months, three different bunches of guys tried the same general idea with three different financings, three different everythings. One of them cashed out right away and the other two got together. So that's fine. So we get together and now on our first birthday, August 2nd, Fleet Pride is $530 million uh, and is comprised of 27 family companies. One year. That That's just crazy to put something together in such a short time period, you know, because I, I can't even imagine that happening today, more or less, you know, 20 some years ago. Well, if it happens today, it won't have me as part of it, but um, I'm too old. But it, it really was fine because think of all the brain power we ended up with. 26 family companies that were doing well. We didn't take any orphans. We didn't take any strays. We didn't take any turnarounds, not one. So that was 26 different markets where we were very well off. Yeah, I can just imagine, you know, I know inside my own company, you know, 200-ish employees. It's yeah. hard to even get 200 employees. Like, you know, you have an expert in the corner over here and you got a guy in the other corner or gal. Like, how do you how do you bridge that gap? So I, I can only imagine the complexity that you guys went through through growing that. And I, that, that's awesome. And I, I hope people, what people realize from that is, you know, it started with an idea, right? And you it's don't necessarily need to have the cash to go do it. You need to have the gumption and be able to take the risk and be able to know the right people and put things together and, and things like this can happen in our space. And th the truth of the matter is the story you said has played out in industry time and time again. It's played out now with the mobile maintenance operations with, oh yeah, you know, look at Dickinson, Dickinson. rolling up and now it goes to Cox, right? You've seen that, that play up. Uh, I see it happening in the parts manufacturers. Look at Dorman. They just bought Dayton parts and you think those guys are done? Heck no. They're going to go buy more parts manufacturers and keep, keep rolling. I was, part, I was part of that one too. Um, Dickinson is an, I'm glad you brought that up. Those guys are smarter than hell. They see the next thing. When they came up for sale, we were in there. I was in there. Um, we, we were unsuccessful, but I'll tell you what, they're going to be successful beyond words because they're so damn smart and they see what's going on. They invest in what's going on, but most of all, they're keeping the people around. People say, well, we can't find workers. We can't find this. We can't find that. Well, you can if you treat people okay, and that's why they're going to be in great shape. So, Bill, I listened to one of your other uh, interviews you did. I think it was with Jamie Irvine with the Heavy Duty Parts Report. And you made a comment in there, and it's the same thing I've always said. And I've come from more from the truck dealership world, not as much the aftermarket side. Yeah. And it's funny. I was in that space for, you know, 15, 20 years. And what I found was every time I ran across a dealership building or a department in that building that was highly profitable and had great customer satisfaction and great growth, you know what it always came down to is – their employees have always been there for a long time. They knew how to work well together and they had a very strong leadership team. And it was, and it was the complete opposite. Every time I ran a department and I, I, I actually enjoyed taking over roles inside companies where their departments were kind of, kind of junky. They, they had problems. So I was like, Oh, this is an yeah. easy fix. I know how to fix this. I'm gonna look like a hero. Right. Is it like that in the independent world? And in your experience, has it been that same way when you have that great leadership, you tend to have low turnover and a highly functioning department or have you seen it differently? Well, fleet pride today is nothing like fleet pride was when we started because mm, the guy that's there now, uh, I think he's the seventh CEO. Uh, I was the first one, uh, two of my, guys were CEOs, uh, Lee Stockseth and Todd Dunn. So, you know, there's been several guys that had the same idea and purely had it. And not picking on anybody, but uh, private equity likes to bring in their own guys. That's fine. 
the first thing, I don't give a damn. If I was going into the florist business, the first thing I do is find some florists yep. and let them run the thing. I would stand there and learn. I would hope to learn, but I wouldn't come in there and say, I like petunias. We're going to pick up a petunia line. Unfortunately, or, or we can get a really great deal on petunias. No, that's not the way it's done. Find out what the customer wants. These guys have been serving those same customers for 20 years. They know those parts inside and out. The guy that told me to look on the backside of the uh, steering box to find the crack around the bolt hole, where do you think he found that? That wasn't in any book. That was because he knew what he was doing. So the key, and this would be for whether you're part of a big group or not, the key is to have those people around. And if and it's not just independence. Look at Rush uh, Services. Rusty knows what the hell he's doing, and what he really knows is that his guys know. He's got a guy. He's got what a hundred and some dealerships. They all have a guy. Yeah. They all know their customers inside and out. There's no Rush deal. There's, you know. He knows how to do that. Yeah. I better learn that lesson too. I just need to get the hell out of my employees' ways. I pay them a lot of money. I pay them for their expertise, their their experience. That's why they're here. And I think you hit the nail on how a lot of businesses, especially small ones, can't do that. The owner or whoever's been there forever can't get out of their own way, which then causes them to hold back. Uh, but I'd like to switch gears just a little bit. I, I sure. found some I found some articles you wrote, you know, a little bit ago. So these are actually both from 2014. So I'm not sure if you remember them or not. I have a hard time remembering for breakfast this morning. If, if you can remember these, that's going to be great. If not, no big deal. Um, the first one, it was titled, The Role of the Heavy-Duty Sales Function is Shrinking and Being Redefined. And, and you make a couple of great points in this, this article that you wrote. Uh, one is how to serve the small accounts profitably is still the holy grail. And I can tell you, Diesel laptops, our core customer base is the small customers. <laughs> and you are right. It is the holy grail if you can figure out how to do it in scale and do it profitably. And I don't care what industry it is. It definitely can be done. Uh, but one of the things you really highlight in there is these sales reps that work at these heavy-duty parts sellers, you write, they must increase their value with the supply chain benefit solutions, Right. So can you, in there, you talk about finding inefficiencies and those things. So can you talk about, has much really changed from 2014 to when you wrote this to 2022 today? Must reps increase their value in order to keep getting that business or, or is or what you wrote here not really stood with the test? The only thing that's changed is the people that didn't pay attention are gone. You can't live today unless you follow that fairly simple set of if you look at the reps today working for either manufacturers or independent manufacturers reps, um, first of all, it's a much smaller student body than we used to have. Um, the days of the donut patrol are over. It used to be to be a great rep. You just stopped at Dunkin' Donuts and showed up early in the morning took care of everybody, went and made sure they had um, priceless and, uh, you know, asked if there was anybody they could go, you could go make a joint call with. And uh, if there were, then you'd go out and do that, take them to lunch. That was it. Today, that's not it at all. Today, you have to be a business consultant. Today, you have to have a sense of what the government is doing. You have to have a sense of where technologies are going and not just the technology of your parts, but the technologies of other parts that are changing the vehicles and business that you're actually calling on. So, so let, let me let me just explain for the audience here how our truck parts, uh, the heavy duty sales rep today, Maybe I'm wrong here. So I guess I'm going to say what I think they do today. Let me know if you think sure. I'm wrong here. What I think they do today is they get their box of donuts or they get their sales flyer for the month and then they drive around and they walk in there and they throw it on the counter and they're like, hey, Bob, do you need any parts today? Bob's like, 
Nope. They're like, okay, well, I'll see you tomorrow or next week or whenever I come back through on the route again. And that's usually the extent of of, of what's going on. Am, am I wrong or is that still how you think a lot of this works today? No, you, you are wrong. But if you had been here uh, eight years ago, you'd be exactly right. And that's what I mean about things changing. All the guys that try to do that today are they're gone. They're just not worth it anymore because the value of a sales rep, they're making more money than they ever did. Agencies, sales agencies are some of the strongest companies in the business. Um, the big ones like N.A. Williams down in uh, Atlanta, fantastic operation. Hundreds of guys out there in the field. They have detail people. They have trainers. They have everything that <clears throat> a manufacturer used to have. When I was running a CR, and we had a, a line called Scott Seals, and I loved them to death, we had 40 guys in the field just to do heavy duty, 40. Today, I'll bet you they, I don't know, but I'll bet you they don't have more than 15 when we had them out in the field, they were doing training at the distributor level, the fleet level, uh, mechanic level. Um, today, that's been replaced with uh, video training or, you know, there's been replacements made because they can't afford to have the, that many people out there. So it, it, it is different. I, I'm, I'm glad you said that too, because one of the, this just happened to me like two years ago, I'm meeting with the manufacturer and it's at a, it's at a conference that we're at and we're up in their suite talking to him and they had a stack of books there and each book had a customer's name on it. And I was like, oh, what's that? And they're like, oh, well, what we do, he goes, that's a presentation for that customer. I'm like, oh, you have a different presentation for each customer? He's like, well, yeah. I'm like, well, what, explain to me. He goes, well, what we do is we have a system where we have all the VINs. We, we bought a VIN database and we have a VIN decoder and we've coded all of our parts to a year make model. So we pick a customer on this little web tool we have and it automatically makes this PDF that tells us for each customer what parts we have that fit their equipment. And we know the usage and how many they go through. And when we actually go see a new customer, we don't walk in with a sales flyer talk about what are you doing? We walk in and we say, here's, I'm going to save you $20,000 next year. And it's all laid out for them. So it, it's good to hear that you see it as well, where, where companies are evolving. And I think it goes back to what you're saying, find the inefficiencies, provide value, and you will get those customers for a very, very long time. Sure. Because look, we all serve the same customer. It's the guy that's that owns or operates a truck. We all serve the same guy. Some guy throws the box away. He's a good guy to know. But, you know, it goes up and down um, associations. It goes up and down large companies, external service providers, internal service providers. And I think there's going to be different classes of trade that are evolving right now, right now. And you're one of them, by the way. The idea, you know, 10 years ago that uh, something beyond motor and their uh, electronic manuals was going to be around was was silly. Now, if I uh, think about it, there's about 15 companies like yours not doing exactly the same thing, but applying technology that's never been applied to this problem in some way, shape, or form. There's a guy like Smart Equip who's trying to be a backbone for the lease rental fleet. There's, there's you, there's yep. uh, Price Dex, there's wh whoever it is. Everybody's got an idea. Well, and all of you guys are bright enough and ballsy enough to go after it. And that's the fun of this. Well, we we always say around here, don't don't be full stupid, just be half stupid. So we we do, we have no problem throwing a bunch of money at something if we think there's a reason to do it. And you know what you mentioned, and just to explain to the audience, you know we feel that people should be able to figure out the part number they need to buy and have availability and pricing. 
without having to pick up the phone and talk to somebody. And they should be able to figure that out coming right from a fault code. They should be able to look up the parts themselves. They should be able to go from a fault code to the part number in less than three minutes. And these are all things that you would have said five or 10 years ago. I'm like, that's impossible. You can't do that. And it's actually amazing once you start looking into the technology and asking why not, all of a sudden those why nots turn into, yeah, we can do that when you start really thinking about it. And you're absolutely right. It's great to see a lot of companies coming at it very similar to what happened, it sounds like, 25 years ago, coming to the same conclusion, just we're going to take different stabs at it. Some of us are going to win. Some of us are going to lose. Some of us are going to consolidate. We'll we'll see what happens. Like Smart Equip, they just got acquired by Ritchie Brothers. So, yeah. so obviously there's a reason a lot of us are spending time and money to go solve this complex problem. But in today's world, you should not have to pick up the phone and call around to five different places and spend an hour of your time to figure out who has my part and what's it cost and when can I get it. it it's time for us to move on past that. All right. And yeah, you're exactly right. Now, let's think about this for a second. Um, as I see it, and this is just me, there's no reason for us to be involved at all. The truck or the tractor or the trailer or the piece of equipment knows what it's doing. And I'm going to use, you know, I'm going to personalize. So it's running down the road. And let's say that it um, knows that the belt is slipping, so it's not charging the batteries properly. So it knows that. What can it do? Well, it can go to the Qualcomm unit and say, hey, yo, I got a fault code here. I need to tell somebody. Qualcomm unit says, yeah, yeah I'll do that. They can tell the fleet. <clears throat> management operation center they can tell the nearest dealer if that's what that fleet is running with they can tell the dealer then what the problem is what the unit number is and when it'll be there the dealer then can get that part if he has it or if he needs to get it from the web somewhere he can get it so that guy comes in the thing is fixed and he's out of there and oh did we forget something we didn't it, we weren't involved the truck said so it diagnosed itself it ordered itself fixed fixed itself and got out of there you, you are 100 percent right we you know we look at it and go well why why do distributors even exist right and when you really think about it they exist one so you have product available in that market well they, they exist. So you have knowledgeable people that can represent your product and help sell it to customers. And then you need someone to actually deliver that product to the user, right? Like those are the three primary reasons why companies have distribution. And well, there, there's other reasons I know, but sure. a, a lot of those advantages are getting eroded now because what you just talked about is technology coming in and saying, you know, we may be the knowledge resource for you, not not that person on the parts counter. And by the way, those guys are retiring and leaving the market and a bunch of people are coming in that don't know much. Well, you know, we used to say, uh, and I still think it's true, that the fleet business, the heavy duty business is a relationship driven business. I still believe that. I further would tell you that there's fewer than 250 guys that make all the important decisions in this business. The rest of us deal with the derivatives of those decisions. Um, a distributor today, uh, 15, when I started Fleet Pride, distributors' primary reason to be there was to break bulk. It was for us to order 100 and send you 10. That was the primary reason for industrial distribution. Not anymore. Today, the primary reason is to look at the end user piece of equipment and make sure that that thing has everything it needs to operate at top efficiency. It gives a damn if there's a case deal anymore. When was the last time somebody ran, uh, I, I used to love these things, uh, sweepstakes and all of that crap. That's, that's just not part of the deal anymore. The, Part of the deal is now to figure out how to best service a monolithic customer base, one truck at a time, one truck and one delivery at a time. Because what? Because our customers, read it Amazon, read it however you want to, are doing that. 
Amazon is the greatest invention since Henry Ford. And, I, and I'm not wrong. That's a, just a fantastic operation. But what are they doing? They're taking my garage. I live in a barn here, so it's a little different. But they're taking my barn and treating it as though it were a General Motors plant because we both get the same service. Yeah, We both get just-in-time or just not just-in-case, just-in-time delivery. I can track my part literally from the boat in China as blockchain is used more and more um, in this business. Uh, I think the efficiency that will spill out of that will be worth 10%. 10% is a lot. It It is. And, you know, Bill, I want to say, you know, but man, I tell you, I do these podcasts, I tell the guests, hey, we're going to go like, you know, 20, maybe 30 minutes. And I'm like, well, man, I've been 45 minutes into this. And I, I think I could talk to you for hours here. So, well, oh, we can do it another time <laughs> if we have to. Well, but... that, that's what I was going to say. I need to get you back on to, to get to, to really dive into some of this, because I think you're absolutely right. And I think you see the world in a very similar way we see it. Yeah, well, because you guys don't see it the way it was traditionally seen. You showed up and said, you know what? Mm, we think we can do it better. It's not the way it's done here. I, I unfortunately had a, a heart thing earlier this year. And what I, or earlier last year, what I learned about was the, the medical system in this country. And it is a spectacular hot mess. We've got technology that is, I find it just almost inconceivable, the things they can do. I also watch the billing part of it or the economics part of it or the commerce part of it ready to collapse. I watch the doctors, the people doing the work who are spectacular and well-trained and all of that. And I watched them held back by an idiotic approach to the whole thing. It's called our government. Now, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just saying, if the government moved as fast as the people operating, it would be a whole different thing. In our business, if distribution could move as fast as the tools that they could have, tools like yours, and I'm... We didn't even talk about this. Tools like yours, we could squeeze so much inefficiency out of this business. And I'm not talking about getting rid of people. I'm just talking about taking the people that know what they're doing, taking the people that are sensitive to the customer and putting them in a spot where they are like snipers instead of you know uh, working in the laundry trucks. We put them up on the front line and really utilize them. Well, that's hey, what I here's what I like to do. So okay. we're, we're, we got I got to wrap this episode up. Just keep it under some time constraints. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you a couple. The general public doesn't see this. Even some of my employees haven't seen some of this stuff. I'm going to send you some of the stuff that we're working on that's coming out soon. And I'd love to get your opinion on it. Oh, sure. And, and I'd love to do a follow up episode with you on later this year. Just to see and continue these conversations, because I, I I think you've been there before. You've seen impact technology is already made in the industry, and you know what it can do and what it should like in this industry. And I think you look at it differently like we do. So I just want to say I, I really appreciate the conversation. I think our audience got a ton of information from this, and I'm really going to look forward to having our, our second follow-up conversation at a future point here. But if people just want to connect with you, and again, I hope they understand there is a well, there, there's a lifetime of knowledge in your head that can help a lot of people. How right. do they how do they get a hold of you? Um, they can call me at uh, at Wade and Partners. They can look us up on the website at wadeandpartners.com. Um, and they can call us at that number. Uh, I, you know, look, we can help or not. If we can't help you, we, we know that we can't. And we'll tell you. But we can help with so many different things. Right now, we are working with a rep agency. We're working with several distributors. We're working with a couple of manufacturers. We're working with a European guy. We can help all kinds of people, and we'd love to do it. Um, yeah, so, oh, one other thing. 
we should get together because I believe, I know that there's at least two of these things cooking right now. There's going to be two new little fleet prides running around here within the next six months. Uh, maybe I'll be part of them, maybe not, but you watch. And the way they put those together is going to be a lot different than the way we put them together before. Well, I'll tell you what, everyone, I got my popcorn ready. I'm ready to watch the shows <laughs> unfold. I'm ready to watch technology. Just think about it. How fast technology has gone the last five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. The flywheel goes faster and faster and faster and faster. It's impacting our industry in, in every way that you can possibly think of. And just having someone on in a resource like uh, Bill, he knows the space. He knows where it's going. He understands the impacts and intricacies. So keep that in mind as you're going about your business. Always look at things from a different angle. There's always a better way to do things. Look at how they're impacting. If you took anything away from this as well, just realize history repeats itself. Things happen over and over and over again, just in different storylines. It'll happen again, what's going on. Just have your eyes open and opportunities present, present themselves when those situations happen. So, but you know, Because we all serve one guy, the guy that's operating the equipment. There's yep. no other. It's pretty simple. Hey, take care, of the take care of the customer. Solve his problems. Solve him time. You'll make money. I guarantee you. That's everybody the, that, will. Everybody will. It's a win-win-win yep. for everybody. So yep. with that said, everyone, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. If you're on YouTube, we appreciate hitting that subscribe button. If you're listening on podcasts, everywhere podcasts are played, comments, thumbs up, likes, shares, all that stuff tremendously helps us. We appreciate your feedback. You can always hit us up at the DL at diesellaptops.com. And we're going to sign off. Remember, it's just not diagnostics. It's diagnostics done right. And take a little bit look in history. You'll see where the future is. Thank you for watching and listening. <laughs>